Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. I've never given birth, but I was present for the birth of all three of our children, which was actually kind of unusual in Japan. They weren't uh, always used to having the fathers present. So I kind of got the idea that maybe, not firsthand, but I got an idea of what was involved. And it certainly seemed to be an all-consuming activity. (laughs) We learned the Lamaze method. We actually went into Tokyo and learned uh, Lamaze from a German teacher. And so each of our children were brought into the world naturally. And so the pain that comes with that, the idea in Lamaze, you learn to deal with it and give it the perspective. And certainly, you know, uh, you can't do something else. You can't read a book or do something else when you're given birth. And so our oldest daughter was born in Tokyo. We had to commute into Tokyo. Being new parents, we thought we got to get there and we got there. They said, sorry, there's no room for you. No room in the end. <laughs> but we did, we, so we went to McDonald's and ate a hot fudge sundae. Uh, <laughs> the, the next two were born in scuba in uh, Ibaraki. But each birth was slightly different. Maybe we, we got better at it. <laughs> I don't know. At least we knew what to expect. And even that, it, with the youngest child, we really didn't know what to expect because we thought this was a long process. But by the third child... It wasn't long at all. She was, Jesus was ready. In the Bible, Jesus' story, I think we can say, is the life story of God in which we're included. The fatherhood of God to Christ is one in which we're counted in as the children of God. The sonship of Christ is one in which we're included, but also the birthing, you know, as we read in Romans, the groaning of the Spirit. Bringing Christ into the world is actually what's being depicted. And maybe what we would call the motherhood of God in the spirit and through the church. It's descriptive of our continually bringing Christ into the world. That's what we're about. And I believe that's what's being depicted in Revelation chapter 12, verse 3 to 6. In which all of history... I think this is a picture of history itself is recounted in a singular scene in which the church is giving birth to Christ. So let's read together verse 3 to 6. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars, and she was with child. And she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, So that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule over the nations 
with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. And so the picture here is the mother giving birth to a child is, many think, the church. It's the image of the church. And of course, the dragon, the idea that waiting for the child to be born. Here is the oppression that is brought upon Christ, but he's caught up into heaven. And the, the mother then flees into the wilderness. I think it's a picture of the, the travail of the church. And all of the Bible can be read as the projection of the story of Jesus being born into history. But this is not just human history. This is not just one story among many. But the mission of the Son coming into the world and the mission of the Spirit bringing the Son into the world, this is the story of God. This is who God is in which we are co-participants. In this birth of Jesus Christ or bringing forth Christ into the world, it's the eternal generation of the Son through the Spirit by the Father. It's an unfolding in history of the reality of who God is. This isn't a secondary picture, but it's primary. And we might read this story of Revelation against the background. You know, we think that the writer of Revelation is John the Apostle, the writer of the book of John. And we might read the two books together. The gospel as an ongoing story of this picture that John is portraying. And the virgin birth then, you know, this whole thing is a birth story. It's not simply the beginning, but as Revelation pictures it here, the birth of Christ is this ongoing event that Christ is continuing to be born, continuing to be incarnate, presented to the world through the church. And Paul pictures this appearing of Christ, you know, this is the picture in Romans 8, of birth pangs, the one we read this morning, we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves, we're all in travail. We're all giving birth, having the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as his sons, the redemption of our body. The way that an early church father, Hippolytus, pictures this. There is a loom in the middle of history in which some weaving is taking place. A different sort of reality. He says the web beam, therefore, is the cross, the pass on the Lord, that there is this warp and on it is the power of the Holy Spirit. And the woof is the Holy flesh that is wrought by the spirit that here is being woven the incarnation and the thread is the grace by which the love of Christ binds and unites the two in one and the combs or rods of the loom are the word and the workers are the patriarchs and the prophets who weave the fair long perfect tunic for Christ the tunic of flesh and the word passing through these, like the combs or rods, completes through them that which the Father wills. 
So as this picture of the flesh of the word is being continually woven through the sufferings of the cross. Woven by the patriarchs. That is this groaning, this travail that is pictured in Revelation and pictured in Romans. It's a continuing weaving of the tunic of the incarnate flesh. The incarnate flesh is woven backward and forward so that every moment from the virgin birth to the proclamation of the church is the weaving of the incarnation of Christ. As John Bear has put this, an Eastern theologian, he says that it is in the preaching of Jesus Christ, the proclamation of the one who died on the cross, interpreted and understood in the matrix of the womb of Scripture, that the word receives flesh from the virgin. And then Hippolytus goes on and he gives us a reading of this passage in Revelation 12. And he extends this metaphor to describe this unceasing activity of the church. He says, by the woman then clothed with the sun, he meant most manifestly the church, endued with the Father's word whose brightness is above the sun. And by the moon under her feet, he referred to her being adorned like the moon with heavenly glory. And with the words upon her head, a crown of 12 stars refer to the 12 apostles by whom the church was founded. And those she being with child Christ, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered, mean that the church will not cease to bear from her heart the word that is persecuted by the unbelieving in the world. And she brought forth, he says, a man-child who is to rule all the nations, by which is meant that the church, always bringing forth Christ, the perfect man-child of God, who is declared to be God and man, becomes the instructor of all the nations. And the words her child was caught up into God in his throne, signify that he who is always born of her is a heavenly king and not an earthly. Even as David also declared of old when he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so the eternal fact of the incarnate Christ is one the church is always bringing forth from her heart. This one seated at the right hand of God is always in Hippolytus' picture, in Revelation's picture, born of her, the heavenly king. This is the one of whom David spoke, the one the apostles preached, the one the virgin bore, the one the church bears for eternity. And in this story, you're either one or the other. One is either involved in the birth or with the dragon attempting to consume the child. One is either groaning in travail with the birth pangs of all of creation, or maybe one is inflicting the pain with the dragon. God is this act, this event, the enactment of the birth of Christ in history in which our lives are defined. And the event of Christ in its eternal fullness has a real and concrete history in which human history and divine history are unfolding together. God is incorporating us into his family so that 
This birth, his story is history. It's a history, a story of adoption. Now John actually will picture this in the first chapter of John. You know, we look at the scenes of John and he's picturing it, the birth narrative, the cross, the resurrection. There's a sense in which they're all woven in together. And this gets at the way he's telling the story of Jesus. You know, just think of the, in the beginning was the word, here is creation. Here is the beginning of all things. But in John's telling, here is the first week of the ministry of Jesus. That is, week one of creation and week one of Jesus' ministry coincide. So in a key passage, you know, the wedding comes in John 1 after the in the beginning was the word, you know, echoing Genesis, and then the wedding comes. It's actually the seventh day of Jesus' ministry. And then there's the wedding feast at Cana of Galilee. John is depicting recreation. And this wedding seems to echo the culminating point of creation. Seven days, the seventh day, the Sabbath day. And here in John, it seems to be the point that is really, you know, this is depicted also in Revelation. The wedding feast of the Lamb is the final scene in the book of Revelation. Look at John chapter 2, where it describes this wedding feast. Jesus and his mother are there. The disciples are there. They've all been invited to this wedding, and they run out of wine. And his mother says, well, you know, my son, he can help you out here. And she says, they, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. And John is going to count down the hours until the crucifixion. And of course, it's at the crucifixion that his hour has come. So that as soon as he begins his public ministry, there is a sense that the hours are counting down. But his mother says to the servants, whatever he says, you do it. And so then he says, you know, go and fill these six water pots that were used for the Jewish custom of purification, about 30 gallons each. Fill the water pots. And they did. They filled them to the brim. And then he said to them, draw out and now take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, he did not know where it came from. But of course the servants knew. The head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. And this then is the beginning of his signs. We have John in John seven signs. And this is the beginning of the signs manifested in Cana of Galilee. And it says his disciples believed in him. And then he went down with the Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. And in this passage and in John, his mother is given a prominent place. Actually, her appearance provides bookends in the Gospel of John. She's here at the opening, and she's at the crucial scene at the closing of the book at the crucifixion. And here he says, you know, he calls her woman, which is just the word for Eve, you know, for thinking in terms of creation. 
And this is the prompt to Jesus to miraculously replace water, which was used for purification rituals, to provide then new messianic wine. This is a sign of the, you know, the new wine, the new kingdom. I guess you could draw very simple lessons that, you know, Jesus, there, here's this couple and they're embarrassed and Jesus helps them. But actually, I think the deeper parallel is with the scene of the crucifixion in which Mary there is also identified as the mother of Jesus. And in both scenes, Jesus calls her woman, Eve. And in both is the question of the hour. My hour has not yet come, and here is the hour. And so Golgotha and Cana, in both scenes, his mother ties them together. And in Mary, the representative mother of the new humankind, he says to John, the writer of this gospel, the writer of Revelation, here is your mother, and mother, here is your son. It is recorded from that hour in John 19, 26, that the disciple took her into his own household. And so Jesus' natural family, you know, in the synoptics at least, had not been accorded any special place. And even in John, Jesus at Cana seems to rebuke his mother. He says, woman, what does that have to do with us? But at the culmination of the gospel, Jesus' mother is now the mother of the beloved disciple. And Jesus is now his brother. And so there is a symbolic picture here of a new family that has been formed at the foot of the cross in which Jesus' own, his true disciples, are conceived. And there's the inception here. And John seems to be narrating for us the theological point that Paul will also develop. And that is to be joined to Christ, to become the bride of Christ, will mean that we pass beyond stereotypical male-female roles in order to be the bride of Christ. In John, this place of the bride is connected to joining the family of salvation. And family is very much central in John. The picture is we abide, you know, abiding, you live, you're part of the extended family in Christ. We see God as father and his children as brothers and sisters. And these are those who sacrificially serve him. And they abide then in love, in agape love in the family. And this is salvation, to be joined to this family. It is in the language of Revelation to be continually involved in giving birth to Christ in the world. Let me conclude with another picture in John, in chapter 4, with the Samaritan woman, who he meets at Jacob's well, which of course has profound significance, the place where many marriages are inaugurated. And they begin talking about sharing a drinking vessel, very intimate, common ground. And they're at a well where marriage has been initiated, they're having this discussion about sharing a cup of water, and the discussion is about desire, about thirst. And of course, it seems to represent the absence of the water here, the absence of life. And this woman has known an abundance of desire. You know, she's been to the marriage well five times. 
And her desire seems kind of unquenchable. And of course the natural water here represents the water that Jesus says may well up within a human being quenching desire and giving life. And drinking from one cup is overcoming division. It is the union that quenches desire through abiding together. The formation of a new family. Enmity between people, between men and women is overcome, you know, between Jews and Samaritans and even between this woman and her own community is going to be overcome in a community of equality. In a single community that Jesus says in verse 23, worships in spirit and truth. And then we see this woman, you know, she has this conversation and she brings forth, she goes in and tells everybody, come and see someone who's told me everything that I've ever done. Here is the Messiah. And there in Samaria, a new family seems to have been formed. And so new birth, that's this chapter right before this Jesus conversation with Nicodemus, who does not understand new birth. But yet if one cannot be born again, if one cannot participate in new birth, and even in birthing Christ into the world, there is a failure to enter into life. And this is the case throughout John. It is the problem of alienation. And it's resolved through then the imagery that is spousal. We're united to Christ as bride. It is parental. He who abides with the Father and the Father's household. And it is pictured as being born again, new birth, a new kind of love. And through being joined to Christ as bride, we're involved in a new birth in bringing Christ into the world. I think this is the call to us all, to be part of the birthing process of Christ into the world. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.